Hey guys, Dominic Neshi here from Cribs. You're going to hear a podcast from me sitting on the Shaw Financial podcast. Um, we got to cover some really good topics with Theo Chambers. He's the founder of that company and he asked me some great questions about the property market um, and gave some really good insights about finance as well. So stay tuned and listen to that one. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'm Theo Chambers from Shaw Financial. Um, here today with me, I have Dom from Cribs. He's our uh, our property expert or property guru, you could say. Um, we thought we'd bring Dom in just to talk about the current property market because it's been, you know, all over the media recently. Uh, we had a great run in the property market for a couple of years, and now uh, we had one of the biggest sort of corrections we've seen in I think about 20 years. Um, followed by one of the biggest rebounds last month. Um, in two and a half years for a monthly rebound. Um, Dom, what, what are you seeing out there? You know, give us your, your words of wisdom. Um, you know, these we've had three rate cuts now, three cuts to the cash rate, um, which is I think we haven't seen that many in such a short period of time since 2012. Mm. Um, what's your, your feeling on, on how this is going to affect the property market? Well, I mean, there's been a number of different things that have actually affected the market and over the past six months. We had the election, which changed things. We had all the results from, um, you know, uh, brokers and banks were getting smashed a little while back, but that's kind of finally eased up and you can actually lend some money. Yeah. Um, and I think that we've already seen some of the market kick as a result of the two rate cuts, but this third one is going to yet to really kick in. Mm -hmm. um, what we've seen in a property market largely is for the past couple of years, there hasn't been a lot of stock that's come onto the market. Mm -hmm. Year on year, it's been about 30% less than the, the previous at the height of the market, which means there's not a lot of property out there. And I think people that are buying property are probably feeling that. And that's also evident when you have a look at clearance rates. So clearance rates for all those that don't really understand what that means, it's um, the percentage chance that a property is going to sell in the market at the auctions. So for instance, for the past couple of months, it's been about 70, 80%, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne. The other markets operate a little bit differently, but 80% chance that if you were to bring your market out to the, uh, your property onto the market, put it up for auction, it's going to sell. Mm. That's really, really good. And what that's meaning is a big competitive pressure. And we're seeing some of that upswing, in, particularly in spring. And I think if you have a look at Sydney, Melbourne, it's been about a 4% rise over the past month or so. Mm. Um, and it's, it's really been top of the market driven. So the higher price properties, we're going to split the property market into three sections, a lower price, middle and higher price properties. Mm -hmm. It's been the higher price properties that's really led the market growth over the past couple of months in particular. So clearance rates in, in relation to stock levels, right? You, you, you just made a comment then that, you know, there is a low stock out there. But, you know, I've heard rumours through all our real estate partners, there's a lot more stock coming to the market. Mm -hmm. um, how do you feel that's going to change things if there's more stock? Um, do you think there's there's that depth of buyers there? Look, I personally think in, in our business we see a huge depth of buyers out there of people wanting to buy a property that just can't find the, the right property. Um, the question is if there's all of a sudden double the amount of stock on the market, how does that affect things? Well, that's when we start seeing the bounces, right? Mm -hmm. We've seen it come back and it probably will go back the other way, but maybe a bit of a lull. And it also just, it's hard to, it's hard to talk generally mm. because um, even within Sydney, there's a number of different markets. So the inner west, the eastern suburbs, the northern suburbs, they perform very, very well because they're tightly held markets mm. and there isn't a lot of stock. 
But when, as you say, if there is an influx of property coming into the market, then that's going to just be a you know a smorgasbord for buyers. That means there's going to be a lot more choice, a lot less competitive tension, and that'll probably have effect on the clearance rates. So, um, you know, I'd like to say that it would the market would soften or ease, but with the interest rate right, uh, uh, rates dropping so much and then being the lowest ever, is that correct? Mm, record lows. Record lows. Um, there's a lot of buyers that are now doing some number crunching and say, hey, now I can afford my own home. A lot of first home buyers are being incentivized to come back into the market. And as you well know, the first home buyer isn't your stereotypical 21-year-old. No, it's, it's about 39, 40. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. So mm. they've been saving. They've got good deposits. A lot of my clients and seeing big deposits and waiting for this um, discount, which the market currently is, and they're stepping back in. So mm. there's only further incentives for more people to push into the market. And I think that for the next six to 12 months, it should be quite positive outside of any crazy black swan events, you know? Mm. Yeah, look, we're definitely seeing that, um, you know, to your point, the different markets, there's there's markets within markets and every market is acting so differently, right? Um, you know, some markets, the, the ones I think close to the to the city, um, you know, 10, 15K radius to the CBD, you know, in every market year on year for two years, it's been, what, 30, 40% um, less stock. And I don't see that changing drastically, especially with, low rates, right? Because, you know, a, a landlord that's got a property tenanted right now, it's even more appealing for them to, to hang on to the property because right. their, their yield's just increasing, um, providing that the, the, the rent doesn't doesn't decrease. But I don't see that happening anytime soon either. Um, we're, for that to happen, we probably have to see more uh, investors come to the market, buy properties and put them all to, to, to market to rent. And we're not probably seeing enough uh, investors come to market that they probably should. Do, do, are you seeing the same thing? Or is there probably a lack of investors coming back? There should be some more to come? Well, I think we discussed it earlier. I think there's, there's two types of investors. There's the more sophisticated investors that are looking at things outside of just property market numbers, you know, yield, potential growth rates, um, you know, what my rent is going to be, depreciation, all that kind of stuff. They're looking at bigger macroeconomic factors and seeing what the economy is doing um, you know, uh, low inflation, uh, mm. low participation rates, so we're not really full employment. Um, there's a number of factors from an economic scale that says that the economy isn't great, mm. and they're even looking at grander things like, like what's happened in the US yeah, and whatever globally, else. Yeah. globally. But I think for the average punter, your first-time investors or the person buying your second or third investment where you're kind of stepping into the market, you've seen a little bit of growth, you've got some cash saved up, now is a really good time to go back out there and invest. And I think they're going to come and jump into the market, particularly if you have a look at your, your cost to hold, right? Mm. With interest rates being so low, if you're able to go and get a, an investment that's yielding 4%, arguably you're near neutral, right? Or positive if it's in your property. Mm, yeah, well, I, I think investors are going to come back in, in full force soon because with rates being so low, you know, they're not getting good yield on, on term deposits or cash, you know, invested in a savings account. Um, you know, share markets globally, the US is at record highs and, you know, arguably set to, to come off in the next 12 or 24 months. Um, you know, the uh, ASX has hit all-time highs recently as well. Um, first time we've actually recovered to where we were pre-GFC just mm. recently. Um, that's 10 years to recover. Um so it's it's tough for an investor to put their money in in those sort of um, investment classes when yield might be debatable, especially if you've got to factor off 
factor in maybe a bit of a capital loss with shares coming 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 backwards. Um, it's quite safe to say that you know a good investment property within say fifteen to twenty kilometer kilometer radius to the city would get four percent gross yield. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think I think that that's kind of what you're after. If you if you're looking at blue chip areas and you're staying within a certain price point. You know, if you're going to go spend two or three million dollars on a property, you're probably not going to get those kinds of yields. Mm. Might be one and a half percent. But if you're spending, you know, less than a million and closer to sort of seven fifty, that's that sweet spot for a higher yielding property. Mm. I think the lower price you're spending, the higher the yield's going to be. And if you're buying in um, growth corridors or high quality areas that aren't CBD, CBD, mm. you're going to get some really strong yield. Just because if you have a look at a, a, a rental perspective. The lower the price of property is, the 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 larger the market is. So mm. the closer the medium would become, if it's a, you know, between five fifty and say eight hundred dollars rent per week, mm. there's a lot of people that can afford that. So you know, if the lower price properties, you're going to see a higher yield. Mm. Look, I did have some questions listed here, but we're, good, we're jumping all over the place. And on that point, it's a it's a it's a great question to ask. You know, I think in the last five years, something that's really changed is um, what is the typical property a tenant is looking for right mm. um, and to that point you know uh, uh, that 850 to 950 rental spot um, you know years ago you would have said a two better with parking is the most common property that these um, tenants are looking for um, uh, but I feel in the last year or two all our real estate partners are saying that the, the one bedroom um, apartment is pretty much just as easy to rent if not more popular because you're getting for the same price per week to rent it you're getting a much better apartment in terms of living room and kitchen and maybe a, a brand new development as opposed to an old two better that needs a renovation. Um, is, it, would you say the same thing? Absolutely. So if you have a look at way that the demographics have looked, mm. um, we went from a suburban city, Sydney and Melbourne and, and Australia at large to now an urbanised one mm. where we're getting more dense and just culturally, it's it used to be sort of 3.4 people per household mm. and now it's going down to sort of 2.1, even 1.9. Mm. So you're seeing people are having less children. Mm. You're seeing people leave the house a lot earlier. Um, people uh, have higher incomes and moving into the CBDs and there's a lot more choice. So we had a lot of the stock that was built in or started construction in 2014, 2015, peak of the market, complete recently so there's a lot of new good quality options as far as design um, amenity and then also just floor plate and outlook so you're seeing good quality properties that are one bedrooms that feel like they're twos mm. instead of the pokey little one bedroom and an old red brick that's everything's kind of compartmentalized big open floor plan makes you it's a lot of breathability they've got balconies and they're just much much nicer properties so to your comment i think what your agents and your partners are saying is absolutely correct um you know with the advent of go get and being able to share your car and jump into you know an uber it makes a lot more sense for you to go and rent a nicer property close to the city jump into the different public transport or amenities and mm. just have a high quality of life mm. so speaking of that in terms of things to look for you know something that it's definitely been you know um all over the media in the last couple of years is you know, these developments and, you know, good developments, bad developments. There's obviously been more news about um, bad developments because there's no news like bad news to put all over the media. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I still think there are some good developments out there and there's there's definitely some good opportunities. You know, there's some properties you can buy now, especially after being discounted, a, a great value. And, and 
you know, from my point of view, if I was investing, what I like about a, a brand new property, I don't need to replace the water heater or we're not going to be hit with special levies to, to put a new elevator in or anything like that. Um, what would be your words of wisdom there in terms of looking for a good development to buy in if you if you were to, to try and buy a one or a two better invest, investment property? You know, how do you identify a, a good development from a bad one? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, the... The, the the squeaky wheel gets you know lubricated right so the market has been crying out where there were a, a couple of bad developments mascot and opal towers and all bits and pieces where they did um, they weren't ideal um you can say that we still did deliver three hundred thousand plus properties over the past couple of years and largely they're all okay so a few a few bad opportunities has meant that the whole market's been softened in the brand new property space particularly, but it just meant there was a lot of new entrants that came to the market. People were taking some shortcuts. But to answer your question, I feel like the good guys have always been good. Mm. You know, they've got a big, strong reputation. They don't discount their properties very, very often at all. Um, they're very reasonable the way that they price it. They use the same trades, they use the same builders, um, and they've got higher quality control methods than even the, the governments regulate them. Mm. So just a little shout out to companies like, you know, your Mervax and your, your Pace and Sekisui House and those bigger organizations that have built millions of homes, they're, um, they've got a severe uh, problem if they build something that's bad. Mm. Their whole business, they've got projects that are 10, 15 years yeah. long. If they've Rep got a bad problem. Reputationally. Mm. Reputationally risk. So they have to deliver. They can't just build a development in a shell company, wrap up that shell company, run away, and now suddenly it's Strata's issue. Mm. They've got their reputation. They've got a whole development to, to mm. build. So some people are scared of building in those master plan communities. But in fact, there's a lot of security that comes from that because mm. they're delivering a you know, ready-made retail, commercial precinct, public transport and infrastructure, as well as you know that they have to make good on every single property that comes into the market mm. and also raise the price of those properties throughout the um, duration of the developments. Well, I think the bar's been raised on what, you know, these people want out of a development, right? Because for 10, 15 years, you know, um, each new development needs to supersede the one prior and, and, and be better, you know? Um, and I think, you know, to our, our point earlier of, of first home buyers, no one actually knows this, you know. Um, I'll, I'll throw it at you a question. Um, do you, what would you guess the first home buyer age to be? Well, I think I think I've heard you say is it thirty eight? It is thirty nine, yeah. so close. Um, but most people think a first home buyer is around thirty. Um, the average age in New South Wales and Sydney uh, is thirty nine, and forty percent of them are actually buying as a uh, dual applicant, as a as a couple de facto or married. Um, so that person, you know, all those individuals as a couple, they probably know more about what they want in terms of a property. You know, they've, they've been maybe living out of home for a good mm. 10 years. Um, they probably know, you know, what they liked about previous properties they rented, what they didn't like. Yeah. Um, they're more particular, you know. Uh, you know, I, some of the things that we hear from our clients coming back in, in terms of, oh, yeah, no, I didn't like the balcony, didn't have enough space to, you know, um, set up a barbecue and chairs and in that part of the town you need that because – X, Y, Z reasons, you know, they're so particular with, um, with their, their living arrangements. Um, your, your point about supply and, uh, you know, the amount of stock that's come onto the, or the amount of brand new properties that, that are being added onto the market. Um, you know, I did read something uh, recently. I, I don't have the actual statistics and data here with me, but 
Now, there's there's a clear um, supply issue actually coming to the market and in, in, well, coming to fruition, I should say, um, where the supply of new housing in, in Sydney in particular um, is has been easing for some time, um, mm. especially because the banks really tighten up funding on, on developments and developers. Um, and yet the demand is drastically increasing, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, fundamentals of economics means that that's only going one right, way, right? Um, you've got a, a shortage in supply and a, and, a, and a jump in demand. Surely we're going to see some 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 strong prices continue. You know, I, I think a lot of people are thinking this is just a, a short-lived um, sort of boom cycle we're about to get back into off the back, back of low rates. But this housing sort of shortage um, that they're, they're talking about will probably come to fruition in about two years, which is then going to see this cycle keep running straight into another maybe five-year boom market, right? Well, it's interesting you say that because our government's very conscious of that. Mm. They're very conscious of our migration levels and it's our, our population growth. It comes because we're a global city now. Mm. We're coming into our maturity and where you can see that our government's very well aware of um, our population growth because we're one of the fastest growing nations in the developed world, and I use that term loosely, and it's because of all the migration. We've got fairly loose migration laws where if you've got a good education, you've got a good income, you want to bring money here, mm. we say yes. So we take in a lot of the world's best into our country that are well-educated, have higher incomes, and uh, the, the, the world looks at the Australian property market, even our, our economy is quite robust. Mm. We didn't get hit by the GFC. We've got a good, stable political system. We've got great healthcare, education system's good, clean air. Mm. And as far as, as you're saying, supply and demand, it's very difficult, particularly in Sydney, to even develop. Mm. So yeah, the su supply side, is it's even harder in Sydney as opposed to some of the other uh, states. Um, and, and just back to the point about our government being very aware of our migration laws and people coming in, one migration pumps our economy up. They know that we're going to have a lot of people coming in. And you can see because of the amount of money that they're spending in public infrastructure, all the rail networks, the light rail, the metro, the mm. all the upgrades to our roads, you know, the M4, the M5 link road, the, you know, the cross city tunnel, all that kind of stuff has come in to be able to handle the population the growth. Population growth. Mm. So what you're pointing to there is really a failing on the, 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 the sort of the private side of things mm. where you're right, banks haven't been so loose with their purse strings and, and allowing developers to get their stuff out of the ground. You need... 110% debt cover and you need so many pre-sales and mm. it's really difficult to develop. And the fact that the market has come back has meant that, and a lot of this negative press, meant that new supply into the market over the next couple of years is severely shorter where it should be. And um, there may be a perfect storm in the next couple of years. Mm. You're right. Yeah, look, I think people get caught up with certain um, economic signals and, you know, the, the, the real affluent sort of... Um, educated investor is looking at some things globally like you said earlier and um, in terms of the global economy and maybe some other signals here like low wage growth just locally uh, across Australia and um, they're thinking oh no you know I might hold back and see how things are looking for another 12 or 24 months but the fundamentals one of the, the biggest drivers for property growth is population growth and our population is just is is I think uh, do you know I think by 2050 we're expecting it to be Double uh, here in Sydney. Yeah, that's right. Something. It's almost double. Yeah. So, no one's a little bit bigger than us. They might pip us for the biggest city. Yeah, uh, that's right. 
But um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and and to your point, you know, Melbourne and Brisbane and other markets. I don't want to say anything ne- negative about those markets, but you know, you look at you know, right in a, a core area of um, Melbourne, on the corner of um, Chapel Street and Turak Road in South Yarra. There, they're building a a 40-story building um, with a few hundred apartments at least, and you just can't go build a 40-story apartment block in in those those parts of Sydney. The equivalent would maybe be Surrey Hills. Yeah. And it's very hard to get a 40-story building into Surrey Hills anywhere. Anywhere, anywhere. And, and just for a little bit of detail, I'm sure that you're well aware of it, it's just in Sydney, it's very difficult. Our, our regulations, like our development control plans are very, very tight. Mm. They say that your apartments have to be 50 square metres for a one, 75 for a two, and 90, for, 90 plus for a three. And then they even regulate the way the, way the wind flows in and the light and how much solar access and mm. it's very very difficult the other states that aren't so heavily regulated where they could do that's where melbourne got in trouble they had a lot of smaller apartments mm. the same with brisbane they had a lot of smaller apartments and that's probably why um you know maybe brisbane has some issues we we're, were talking about that earlier where mm. it's been that state that people predicted to run for the past five years and it's basically done yeah a lot you know? Yeah, no, we definitely say that. Um, and yeah, on the on the Melbourne side, I, I've actually personally um, rented some of those smaller apartments in the CBD. They'll put a two bedroom apartment in 55, 60 square meters. You know, yeah. you walk in through the front door, and there's the kitchen, there's the bathroom, and there's the toilet. It's it's all right there. Um, it's Japanese. <laughs> yeah. Then you've got a you've got a, a car elevator as well, as opposed to a ramp for the car park because they couldn't physically fit the ramp in the footprint of the building you know it would have taken up too much of the the land size for the for the car parking lot and then there's makes queues to try and get in and out it's crazy what's going on down there yeah regulations are a lot tighter here yeah yeah and the quality i feel is better here because well that just is goes down to the price you know i think the developer can put more money into the development knowing that they're going to get a higher price per unit that's exactly right and and i think that you just see um because it's so hard to develop Supply and demand dictates that, you know, you're going to get a better quality property. They can spend a bit more time in design and they can demand a premium for that property. And people are now even implementing different sort of greener practices in their buildings because mm. it's what the market wants. We've got a private industry that does kind of keep their ear to the ground. They're paying attention and making sure that delivering what people are asking for. So it's we are kind of blessed here. We've got a really good sort of well-established property market, particularly in, you know, um, in Sydney, and, and we're obviously biased, hey? Yeah, well, no, look, you know, without um, uh, naming names here or disclosing any of our confidential information as a business, we've got some very um, sort of uh, high-end clients in our business that operate globally on an on a, a investor sort of scale in terms of looking at property markets globally to, to buy in. Um, and I was having a conversation recently with one of them who says globally Sydney is one of the most promising places to invest because... You know, not only is our lending heavily regulated and easy to regulate because, you know, at one point there was 80% of our loans funded just through the four major banks. Mm. Now that's dropped down to 60%, but still that's quite easy to regulate. Um, whereas other markets, there's, you know, in America, there's thousands of banks um, and, you know, the, the, the transacting of property in America is far different to here. It's a lot harder to transact on property over there. Yep. A lot harder to, to um, rent out your property. You know, you've got multiple people in, involved. Normally the person who finds a, a tenant for you is different to the person who manages the tenant for you, which 
which is kind of strange even to me. Even state-by-state laws and taxes yeah. and, and then um, even the UK, you've got different calling-off periods. It's uh, and, and you know what? The, the big one that was all over the news recently, negative gearing. So yeah. in, in America, it's the other way around. Your home is tax deductible and then you have to pay for interest on investment properties net after tax. Um, yeah, quite, quite odd. Don't quote me on that. That might have changed recently, but that's the last time I looked at that was the, the play. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, um, look, to wrap, wrap things up, that all sounds quite quite promising, you know, um, uh, multiple, multiple sort of uh, signals in the economy, you know, cash rate, record lows, 0.75, 0.75 worth of cuts in the last five months, um, APRA loosening uh, lending, making lending easier. And, um, yeah, the, the federal election now out of the way, that was six months ago, but still that's already um, still taking effect. I think buying property and, and the property market in itself is looking a lot more buoyant, a lot more promising. Um, we're probably going to try and touch base with all our clients. Our our call to action is to try and make sure our clients are aware of these opportunities that you're talking about. Um, a lot of them probably don't even realise that buying an investment property probably affordable for, affordable for them, right? Um, they probably don't realise they don't need to come up with the cash. They've probably got the equity in their home and they could buy an investment property just by, by borrowing against their home. People don't know how cheap it is to own an investment property. Yeah. I shock them every single day. Well, especially now with record low rates, right? You know, uh, uh, we got so caught up in the federal election with that um, one particular point around negative gearing and capital gains tax. The thing is, right now, even if you borrow 100% of the cost plus stamp, do you call it, 100% purchase price plus cost, it's, a lot of the time it's not even positively, uh, not even negatively geared. You know, there is no negative gearing benefit. It's actually positively geared, which is a good thing. You know, That's right. I, I think people need to realize don't chase negative gearing because it does mean it's costing you something. Um, if you can buy a property that's positively geared, then you're winning from day dot. And there's a lot of that out there, especially with the stuff you're saying. Um, so yeah, look, we'll, we'll, we're going to reach out to our clients and uh, hopefully we get you involved in, in some uh, financial health checks with them and, and, and seeing those good investments for them. Awesome. Thanks for inviting me on the show. Perfect. Thanks for coming in, Dom.